0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting inside the nice, warm Morton Studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. Yes, as you may have guessed, it is snowing and cold and blowing outside once again. Oh my goodness, this winter just doesn't want to leave us alone here on our farm. But you know what? We'll be out in the field before you know it. Actually, uh, things are are not looking too bad out in the field. Not too terrible. Much snow left, and for anybody thinking about putting in spring wheat, for example. Well, one of the considerations you should have is what you can put on for a seed treatment on that wheat. We'll discuss seed treatments in wheat on today's program. We'll also be taking your emails via radio at agphd.com or your phone calls 844-44-AGPHD if you have an agronomic question or topic you'd like to discuss. All right, Brian, we're talking seed treatments in wheat. We also got a pile of mailbag questions that came in. So where would you like to begin today?
1: Well, I'd just say with this wheat seed treatment, there are still a lot of people that don't treat their seed. We just highly encourage you to do so. Use multiple fungicides, use insecticide. And also, if you haven't been using biological or as we call them, natural products, you got to try some because there are a bunch that we've been using that have really helped in small grains. So I, I guess I just encourage you to try some things out on your farm and then look close for the yield gains because if something costs, let's say $3 or $5, boy, you only need a couple of bushels of wheat and that was a home run kind of um, result. Well, I mean, who's gonna see two bushels of wheat or who's even gonna see five bushels of wheat? You gotta really pay attention to the results. But I I guess I'm a big fan of seed treatments in any crop, but in wheat, we just find that wheat has a lot of struggles with disease, with insects i mean there are just there's so many problems that you can end up with in wheat and a lot of those can be alleviated or at least minimized with a good seed treatment all right so ag phd mailbag
0: it's
2: now mailbag time with brian and darren
0: Alright, it's going to be just a little bit before there's weeds growing out in our fields, but not for Brian in Pennsylvania. He sends in this question. He said, I'm in a hilly area of Pennsylvania, mostly no-till. We've had a mild winter here. My fields are starting to green up with early spring weeds, including pennycress. It is four to six inches tall already. Now, if I wait until planting to spray a pre emerge along with a burn down, the weeds will just be way out of hand and I'm a month to a month and a half away from planting. I'm thinking I have no choice but to spray Gramoxone or Roundup now and plan on doing it again in another month. Is it too early to include the pre? What would you suggest? Said for soybeans and for corn. Yes,
1: it's too early to include the pre that you're actually counting on for residual for the crop. Now, it's not too early to use a residual herbicide that's going to hold weeds back for a month or a month and a half, something like that. So if you understand where I'm going with this, I'm just trying to say it'd be, well, you maybe could put enough pre on that it would hold all the way up until crop canopy, but that's tough. So a lot of times what we suggest to people is planting early and then when you plant early you have you just have had less time and less heat and you know fewer weeds to use up that that product. So I'd be out there on the first possible date I could plant with crop insurance, and then I wouldn't feel like, oh I'm just my herbicide's gonna be overwhelmed here. So I guess I'm just trying to say, yeah, if you're waiting a month and a half and you feel like you have to burn down now, the odds that that's going to hold are slim. You could try it and just make sure you're using the full labeled rate, and maybe it would be enough, but I wouldn't be super optimistic. Oh, there is one thing that I would say, though. So like on our farm this year, we're going to raise a bunch of conventional beans, and we are going to go with three pre's. Then we're going to go with an early residual uh, combo, post-emerge. So you could do that and that way you're not counting on pre-emerge program to be 100%. You're only counting on it to be 80 or 90%. Then you hit it with a couple more residuals early post. Well, that may be enough. So you'll just have to experiment a little bit and see.
0: Yeah, and long-term, I look at killing pennycress in the fall. That works fantastic. If you've got other weed species out there, you could do a fall residual. That would get you by a lot longer into the spring, Uh, Something like fall valor along with a 240 or dicamba can be a really nice tool in the fall. The other thing that guys are doing on hilly ground that's no-till is utilizing some cover crops. Uh, There might be a couple options for you there. Not exactly sure what works the best in your area, but might be something to consider too. All right, uh, fertilizer question. This comes from Chet, and he said, Guys, just curious, what are your thoughts on phosphorus and potassium numbers that you see on soil tests and availability? For example, uh, we got a soil test back. It says there's five parts per million of phosphorus and 175 parts per million of K. Uh, Just wondering, are all these nutrients available? Because we're being told that we should have no problem raising a 200 bushel corn crop with these kinds of numbers. Uh, talk to us about uh, nutrient availability from a soil test.
1: There are many different soil test procedures. The one that we like the best is the Malix 3 It's a little bit of a more, let's see, how can I say this, a, a more harsh extraction. They get more of the available nutrients out of the soil using that extraction method. There are other extraction methods, like, for example, the Olsen test on phosphorus. I think it's junk. I really do. Because we've proven before where we put virtually no phosphorus on, we got an Olsen test that's like that, five, and we're still at this really good yield. Well, obviously, then it didn't tell us all the phosphorus that was available in the soil. So I would just say it really depends on the soil test you get and then to go along with that, the lab, because each lab is going to have its own standard procedures in running the Malik 3 or running the Olson test. So some labs might show more than other labs, even though it's the same soil and supposedly the same extraction. Okay,
0: so the lab is one thing. The other thing is how much of that are your roots going to come in contact with? And that's one of the challenges is our roots aren't going to come in contact with 100% of the soil. So yeah, do I believe those numbers and maybe more are available? Yes, I do. But do I think your roots are going to find all of that? No, I don't. That's why we need to have a little higher levels on soil tests just to be safe, especially in dry areas. We're going to talk about seed treatments in wheat on today's show. Stay tuned. Your crop deserves the
3: best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proof performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a Champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash
4: uscrop. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for Corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um... We'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with TriVolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions and TriVolt worked. See for yourself at TriVoltInAction.com. TriVolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions.
0: You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. back you're listening to ag phd radio broadcasting from the morton studio today and our topic is a fun one it's seed treatments in wheat and you know of all the crops wheat is one that we normally do see some response with a lot of different i would say more intensive management practices Uh, when we think about the breeding on corn and soybeans i mean there are millions upon millions of dollars that get poured into those um those crops with all the different private companies, certainly with work that's being done at a university level uh, with private breeders, all, all these kinds of things. Man, there's so much work done on corn and on soybeans, but on wheat, there is quite a bit of work being done, but not as much. And we see a number of different diseases that impact wheat, partly due to when are we going to seed it? I mean, if you think about winter wheat, you're going into some tough conditions in the fall as things are cooling down. And in the spring, of course, We want to be out there really early and we've got cool and many times wet soils and that can be a problem and it can lead to more disease issues. So uh, we'll start our discussion off here on wheat seed treatments talking to Andrew Friskop up at North Dakota State University. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing well today. How are things down in South Dakota? Well, they are cold and snowy today. And you know what, though? It's going to melt. And then guys are going to want to hurry up and try and get the wheat crop in the ground. And uh, when we think about seed treatments in wheat, uh, usually we're thinking about diseases, but also a little bit insects. What are growers concerned about and what what do they want protection from up in North Dakota?
5: I think the common conversations I have with seed treatments is, um, you know, we're planting in cool wet conditions, trying to protect that seed and have the crop come up because it's tough to manage a crop that doesn't come through the soil. So a lot of the conversations are uh, perhaps what what type of diseases should I be worried about, Um, some of the early seedling blights, what is the influence of Cool, wet soils and pithium problems have an influence and really what it comes down to, and you mentioned earlier, is like what type of response I, that I can see from, from a fungicide seed treatment. And up at NDSU, we have a rather large data set that we've been building for the last 18 years, and we would love to talk to the audience today about that.
0: Yeah, that that is a a big deal. And, you know, you mentioned the just starting off the cool and oftentimes wet soils. Even the guys in western North Dakota that I talked to, they're like, oh, no, we're always dry. I'm like, well, do you need some level of moisture to at least get the seed to germinate? Well, yeah, we do. We have to get at least one rain to get things going. Well, you're going to be wet for a little bit there. So even if you think, oh, okay, the only one I have to worry about is Rhizoctonia," Well, it might end up being pythium. You just never know.
5: Yeah, absolutely, and that's you know, in, I just like in South Dakota, Nebraska, North Dakota, you kind of have that east-west type of dynamic from growing regions, and uh, certainly uh, we we have uh, we have different growing regions, but a lot of the same disease issues. Uh, you mentioned Pythium, Fusarium is always around. We have plenty of Fusarium. We're we're married to it, and sometimes we might get some common root rot. But uh, definitely going into the season with that decision of fungicide seed treatment, you know, they're going to help some. You know, they're not considered to be season lawn protection, but then they're just enough to get their job done to get the uh, plant growing and above the soil line.
0: You know that early stand is a big deal. If we can get off to a good start, it seems like with any crop, uh, that's very helpful and it allows us a better chance to withstand the stresses that we know are going to be coming. Uh, one comment I get, Andrew, from from wheat growers is, "Well, I'm putting in a million seeds breaker, a million and a half seeds breaker, sometimes even more." And growers say, "You know, I, if I lose some, if I lose a hundred thousand, who cares? It, it's not going to matter. The the wheat'll just tiller out a little more." But it never seems like the They're lost evenly throughout the field. It seems like patches if we go untreated that, oh, in this little pocket of the field, we had a a pythium issue or a fusarium issue. Uh, You know, what what do you see out there when it comes to stands? Is there kind of a stand that you're shooting for in wheat in North Dakota or you just want to have a fairly even stand no matter what the population?
5: Yeah, I know. Ideally, you know, the more even the stand, the easier it's to manage from a growth stage. But, you know, if we're we're thinking of Plant population out there. I mean, I know a lot of our spring wheat growers are pushing pushing it up a little bit more. He mentioned somewhere between a million, million and a half, and a lot a lot of folks are you know getting around the million and a half. Um, and you know, sometimes they see your yield response, but some of it's like what you just said, is assuming they're going to lose them in the soil uh, due to um, abiotic stress or a pathogen or maybe an insect once in a while. Um, it's just you know it's, it's something that they're willing to do, but you know it still doesn't answer you know those situations where you have Some death in a pocket and you're, you know, trying to maximize as much as you can. And sometimes you think of that losing stand in one pocket. Well, it may not mean much, but then we might start running into issues with weed control and some of these other factors that might kind of snowball into a bigger problem.
0: You know, Speaking of problems, you mentioned insects there. I know as we go west into Montana, a lot of the guys are saying, oh man, the wireworm problem is just getting worse and worse for us. But uh, you get into the codas, it seems like it varies a little bit depending on rotation. And uh, one thing I've heard, Andrew, the guys that are trying cover crops, they say we're seeing a lot of positive things in terms of holding soil in place and also conserving uh, a, lot of, a lot of things out in the field. But the one negative that I'm hearing is I am seeing more insects out there. Are you doing much cover crop work in, in North Dakota? Do you have enough time to grow a cover crop and if so, uh, is, is that something that raises some additional concerns going into wheat?
5: Yeah, I think that's been a, you know, a common question as uh, as we see more implementation of cover crop. It's, you know, what's your what's your goal with that cover crop? Is it uh, just to protect some of the soil erosion and you're know, terminating into the spring and how that influence other production factors and I'd say we're in the infancy, infancy stages of trying to see that dyma- dynamic and you know a lot of us can be so narrow and specialized in one field and trying to get those big interactive projects can be a little bit difficult but I think the the mindset is is you know there's going to be an influence um, you're going to probably see some type of insect influence you're going to see some type of pathogen transfer potentially and Uh, It's kind of a new area that we're growing, not only through research, but also a lot of those observations like you receive or what we receive in our offices.
0: Yeah, I I think about some of the new things now, too. Uh, I know there have been some guys that said, well, you know, the neonics haven't been the best on, on things like wire room. They kind of repel. But. This new Taraxa that BSF has come out with has caught on for some guys. Uh, Is that something you've seen up in North Dakota? Is anybody getting into some of these different modes of action now on the insect control too?
5: When I'm talking to a lot of growers and we're talking fungicide seed treatments and uh, talking about disease control, there's, there's a lot of times before they even come to me, they're already... Uh, ready, to have that insecticide because in they they've seen the benefit of it. So that's that's been almost a little bit easier decision for some of those guys. That have been dealing with wireworm issues, for example. Um, the next step that they're looking at is well, if, if I'm ready, to have an insecticide. What type of fungicide should I be looking at? Do I need one mode of action? Do I need two, three? You know, how much how much can that you know, single kernel carry and be able to offer protection? So that's you know, it's you know, it's situational based. Um, uh, in some cases, if we look at the data. Um, you now we can see, and you know, I talked to my extension entomologist, you can see a real big response in water and pressure areas when you use insecticide seed treatment. And similarly, when we think about fungicide seed treatments, we can see a pretty big stand response. On average, we're saying probably around that 8 to 10% is probably what we see from a stand response to fungicide seed treatment. And again, that could vary based off production and growth region, but it gives you a good idea. Think of how to invest those dollars and what you can expect from them.
0: You know, there are a lot of different challenges for, for wheat and disease and insects. Just to, to get the plant established out there, it's nice to have that extra boost from a wheat seed treatment. Uh, certainly a lot of growers are doing comparisons on farms to see. But then there's some guys, Andrew, that just say, well, I'm either doing all or nothing. <laughs> I love seeing check strips. <laughs> do, you, do you get to see check strips or do you see most of your guys? It's all or nothing.
5: Uh, Usually it's all or nothing uh, when it comes to training the seed, but uh, sometimes they rely on, you know, they might rely on university and what what can they expect, and I guess what I can share is, you know, I have an 18-year data set, 46 trials, 200 replicated treatments, and um, I I can tell them, you know, 70% of the time you're going to see a positive stand response. Uh, How large of that stand response is going to vary, but it's around 8 to 10%, and the next question is they'll ask is, what about yield? And... Uh, when I mentioned about yield, since it's such an early investment uh, from an input, you know, there's so much that can happen. But sure. generally speaking, we see a 1% to 2% yield response. So, I mean, there's, there's favorable responses out there and how, how we can look at it.
0: Yeah, that that is a good way to think about it, too, that, hey, you know what? You could get a great stand. That doesn't mean you're not going to have a drought or you're not going to have hail anymore. Right. So there are other things that come into it. You do need to get out there and kind of evaluate the performance early to know how that seed treatment really did. Talking to Andrew Friskap with North Dakota State University. Great stuff, Andrew. Thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on.
5: No problem, Darren. See ya.
0: Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: Get what you spray for results. Get the lasting control more corn growers trust with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Apply pre-plant, pre-emergence, or early post-emergence to control tough broadleaf weeds and grasses before they cost you. For superior control with a low use rate and long residual, make the easy, high-performing choice. Visit anthemmax.ag.fmc.com to get results. Always read and follow all label directions.
4: This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight.
2: Planting windows can close fast. So when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact Emerge planters and Precision Ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at JohnDeer.com slash gain ground.
0: At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com.
6: The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. From the smallest fastener to the trusses overhead, Morton leaves absolutely no detail to chance. It's how we ensure that your building stands the test of time. From concept to completion, we take pride in providing a high quality building to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit MortonBuildings.com.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to AgPhD Radio talking wheat seed treatments on today's show. And you may have noticed something. We got talking about some different diseases, and they sounded a lot like the diseases we're fighting in corn, in soybeans, and other crops. (laughs) Yes, it's a lot of the same pathogens that are out there in fields. And it's good to to understand those. The other thing that's kind of interesting, and we had Andrew Frisk up on with North Dakota State to start things off here. A lot of these active ingredients, you're going to see many of the same packages having, oh, I, I recognize that component or this component, and, and that's kind of cool, but some of those are getting a little aged to them, and it, it is important to look at some of the newer products out on the market. It's one of the reasons we got Kenny Siebold with us right now. we to talk about some of the things that maybe aren't brand new, but are newer in the market? Because, Kenny, uh, well, first of all, Kenny, thanks for being on. really appreciate it. Hey, I'm happy to join. I'm just ready to dive right in on this. And I, I was thinking about Metalaxil and and I was talking to somebody earlier today and they said, well, I got this seed treatment and I got Metalaxil in there. And I said, do you realize how old Metalaxil is? And, and uh, the guy said, well, no. And I said, I think it's the first seed treatment fungicide I ever remember. Now, it's probably not the oldest, but it's been around for a long, long time, and uh, it's not quite working as well as it used to. What What are you seeing, Kenny?
7: You know, you're you're exactly right. You know, that's one of the older. It, it's, it's the first purpose. I would say, like you know, purpose designed sea um, treatment fungicide that was out there for like Pythium and Phytophthora and things like that, right? And, and you know, and it's had a refresh. You know, there's no doubt it's had a refresh in in the form of methanoxin, which is it's it's roughly the same chemical, right? Just because of the the makeup, but you know that chemistry itself is, is pretty old. But there but there are some newer things that are that are out coming onto the marketplace. You know my my employer, Valent, we've got something called ethaboxam that's actually put into the into them with Metal metalaxyl in, in our Intego sweet cereals package. That you know gives you, that way you get some complementary mode of action going on there.
0: You know, I think that's a really good thing just to protect yourself from any resistance or tolerance, just to have multiple shots at everything, kind of like in weed control. We talk about that all the time. You've got to have multiple effective modes of action there to really do a good job. The other thing I see, Kenny, honestly, when you look at rate for rate on a lot of these seed treatments out there, there are some companies that are cutting the rates on some of these ingredients too. Now, it'd be one thing if you said, well, I'm putting ethaboxam in, so I'm not really relying on metal axle anymore. But it's it's a whole nother thing. Right. Some some of those folks, uh, boy, they're going with metal axle and they're going with a cut rate. Um, yeah, having two modes of action sounds a lot better to me.
7: Hundred percent, hundred percent. You want to back yourself up that way, right? Because it's your resistance to to those soil pathogens isn't as common, or it doesn't happen as fast. I won't say it isn't as common, but it won't happen as fast as it would with some foliar pathogens, or say like what you might see with weeds. But you go in, and when you think about something that's been around as long as metal axle, I mean, we're talking like the 80s, late 80s, right? Um, you get to that point where that, you know, Pythium in, in a given field has seen that for that many years in a row, you can see a reduction in sensitivity. And so, it's, yeah, it's always good to have something in there to manage that.
0: All right, when you when you talk about uh, a package, and I know Valent sells a combination seed treatment with multiple different ingredients in there, uh, what right. are some of the things that you look at? Obviously, uh, Valent invests millions of dollars into getting a great formulation and picking the best ingredients they can. But what are some of the differences that growers should be looking for if they're comparing one one company seed treatment package to another?
7: Well, I think it's, it's important to kind of understand what is it that, you know, what is it that you're facing that you're going to fight the hardest, right? You know, you know some areas, you know, you might have more wireworm pressure than others when you're looking at like an all-in-one type package. So you, maybe, maybe you need that insecticidal component. There might be some other places where that's not a problem and you can just go to a straight fungicide, like, you know, a complementary fungicide. But what you're really looking for, I think, <clears throat> is making sure that you've got yourself covered on, on, on pythium which is a pretty common early season, you know, early season disease can cause damping off. Um, make sure you've got something in there for Rhizoctonia and Fusarium. And then some like, you know, like to me, like extras or like a systemic fungicide that might help you with some early season or even post early season, you know, things like smuts and, bun- and bunts and things like that. But, you know, having that, you know, having that complementary mix to, you know, to, to get those common things and also seed rots too, because you know how it is when you plant. I mean, you get the right growing conditions things jump up and do what they're supposed to do, but if it's a little bit cooler and wetter, puts a lot of pressure on that germinating seed, so that seed protection product can really help you there.
0: Yeah, and you don't really have any control because the forecast can look like it's going to be good when you're planting and That can turn around. I, I mean, those guys are wrong, it seems like, more times than they're right. So you know you're probably going to have some tough conditions at some point you're going to have to deal with. Having a little better protection is nice. And you mentioned too, Kenny, that it's not just about the seed. This protection is going to carry a little ways into the into the season. I mean, it's not like we're going to put on a fungicide now and never have to spray at heading time or something like that or flag leaf but uh, at least it's going to get you a few weeks into the season if not a month.
7: That's exactly right because you know what's your what's your early season objective you know of course it's to you know get up get a good uniform stand get your plant population want it to be and then you know and and kind of protect yourself into that into that point where you might want to start putting out a foliar fungicide because you're right there's there's nothing that, that I'm aware of in today that you could put on as a seed treatment where you could apply it and then expect to get, like, full season protection of some of, like, the foliar diseases that you might face.
0: All right. A uh, common question that we get, Kenny, uh, especially when it comes to wheat, is a lot of farmers will say, all right, I can treat myself. But my dealer says he's invested in this fancy equipment. Do you see a big difference with on-farm treating versus uh, treating through, say, a seed dealer or something like that? And if so, what are some of the the keys to getting that great coverage that you really need to watch for?
7: Well, I think by and large, you know, I mean, not that we're not we're not trying to knock on-farm treating. You know, it's practical and it works for folks. There's no doubt about it. But when you talk to like you know in a situation where you've got a dealer especially some of the ones that have, been, have invested in you know invested in that that good you know that newer equipment you're getting a more precise ap- an accurate application right more uniform coverage because that's the trick you know if, if you've got you know maybe a simpler setup and, and, and you're making those applications if you're not getting uniform coverage then you're not getting uniform results right you maybe you've got a little more more of the product on some seed and a little less and so those could be what might be might be suspect so like I say, we're not trying to knock that at all. You know, I think, you know, the person has to go with what works. I do think the, the, the distributor-level equipment is probably probably going to give you a more precise, uniform application. But if you do it on farm, just pay special attention to the rate, right, using the right rate, you know, getting your slurry set up right so that you get good coverage, and then, you know, make sure you treat and, you know, treat and basically run the machine till you get thorough coverage, make sure things get dried down, and then you should be good to go. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's, it's a, a big, big deal to have that seed dry, uh, like you mentioned. And, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. if the coverage is even, you don't end up with clumps and those kinds of things. So yeah, getting it done well, mm. getting that seed treatment done well is really important. And then uh, the other question, Kenny, is there is there kind of a time limit with seed treatments or, or are you fine treating up in, in advance? And and I know you can only speak really for your seed treatment, but do you have any kind of guidelines in terms of when is it too early to treat and uh, and that type of thing
7: um yeah like i say i can't speak for other folks products but you know you can treat you know up you know you could treat ours you know we've tested ours out you can you could be safe for you know a a reasonable length of time like i'm not talking like a year or something like that but you know you can treat in advance should be okay it'll hold i mean once it's dry it should it should be in good shape
0: yeah, just important to uh, to get some treatment on your seed. There's so many different diseases out there. there. There's always something in the soil, whether it's too hot and dry or too cold and wet. Uh, and we know those conditions are going to vary throughout the year. There's a lot of disease, a lot of insects that can impact your seed. Even though you're putting, uh, as Andrew Friskap was saying, even though you're putting a million and a half seeds out there, uh, you spent the money on those <laughs> seeds. You don't want to lose 10 or 20% of them and, and have a poor stand been talking with Kenny well, yeah, Siebold yeah, yeah. here with Valent and, and oh, Kenny. Oh, no, you're fine, Kenny. Uh, I was going to say, uh, you, you want to say, comment on the stand there?
7: Uh, yeah, all I was going to say, I was just going to kind of echo you. I mean, you, you spent the money on the seed. You spent the time and effort to get it in the ground. You know, seed treatments are, are a very, very good investment. Very good, you know, very good insurance against issues there at the early part of the season.
0: Yeah, it's, it's not a huge expense, and the return is, is pretty consistent in fields. We we always see some issues early in the season in wheat. Uh, Kenny Siebold here with Valen. Thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on.
7: Hey, it was a, it was a blast. I enjoyed it, uh, and you all have a good rest of the day.
0: You bet we'll be treating wheat seed in not too long. Spring is coming, and it's coming fast. Uh, that's why we're talking about this on today's Ag PhD radio show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
4: Palmer Amaranth. four counts of yield, theft, resistance to groups two, four, nine. You ain't got nothing on me, man. We've been surveilling you. And now we've got Tough 5EC, a tank mix partner that'll make sure you and your gang of resistant weeds never see the daylight again. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5EC to your
3: post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belsham Crop Protection.
0: This is Mike. Hey, he's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school.
2: It's only five bucks. How bad can it? Oh!
0: Yikes! Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time, and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for.
4: No! 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 no.
0: Status
3: Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Back. you're listening to ag phd radio We're broadcasting from the morton studio today taking your calls and questions throughout today's show four 44 ag phd uh, let's get back into the the talk here on wheat seed treatments we've got jeff kaiser with us right now with new farm jeff thanks for joining us
7: yeah thank you thank you darren
0: all right, first of all, when we, we think about seed treatments for wheat, uh, the big focus ends up being on disease, and we'll talk a little about insects here too, but which diseases do you think are the most concerning for farmers and also uh, that, that we've got good solutions for too?
7: Uh, what we're look at is, you know, the stand establishment on wheat is really critical. Uh, a lot of times when we have enough moisture to uh, get the seed started, we got a little bit too much. So Pythium and sublethal Pythium pressures is probably our... Uh, first and earliest disease uh, spectrum that we have to concern ourselves when, uh, when we're planting a spring wheat crop. Um, we can. There's several others that fall into play right after that. But as far as establishment goes, um, we need to have a there that provides protection. Initial pit pressure. and That's the easy one. You know, that's the one where the seed's planted and the Pythium actually kills it. So we don't have the stand count or the crowns out there that we're looking for when we're trying to get a final stand. The sublethal pythium is one that uh, you know affects the wheat after it's established, and it just makes kind of a runt plant, one that doesn't respond to some of that foliar applications that you're looking at as far as your nutritional products that you're putting over the top or fertilizer that you're putting over the top. It doesn't respond very well uh, because the plant's been compromised early from sublethal pythium pressures.
0: You know, I'm glad you mentioned Pythium because uh, I'll talk to some wheat farmers and they'll say, well, where we're at, we're in Kansas and it's pretty dry here. Or we're in the Dakotas and it's dry or we're out in the Palouse and oh, we just don't get enough moisture to have Pythium issues. I completely disagree. And I I found that growers just don't know how to identify, well, what is Pythium and what is something else for a, a disease and they've got more pythium issues than they know because, like you said, it takes some level of moisture just to get the seed to grow. And that can be enough to get pythium started as well.
7: Yeah, spot on. That's spot on. So once you have enough moisture to, to germinate that seed or get the seed to swell, you're going to activate the pythium uh, pressures that are in that soil because it's a cool environment. Now, you know, if you're planting wheat, uh, you know, in the summer or, or hot growing conditions, you may not have pressures like that. But in those cool growing conditions... The old, the old my seeds that are out there in the soil are very active, and they're, they're going to attack that plant as soon as there's enough moisture for that seed to germinate. They'll be activated in that soil solution, and uh, that plant will, will take that, uh, that disease in.
0: Alright, there's more diseases out there that we're concerned about than just pythium and some of this has to do with crop rotation. And I know one of the challenges in, in some wheat growing areas is, well, uh, how many crops are you going to have in, in that area? Well, I can make the most money on wheat or, or another cereal crop. And so we see a lot of folks that say, well, uh, I may rotate to uh, barley or something else, but still raising a cereal crop. And, and that's another thing to think about. And also the, the reduction in tillage we're seeing so much no-till or reduced till uh, those things can certainly lead to more disease as well.
7: Yeah I mean that's a if you look like in Kentucky and some other areas where they're raising wheat right after corn or if you have a fair amount of no-till in certain areas you're going to have a fair amount of fusarium and so the seed treatment that you use you should have protection in that against fusarium root rot. Now there's another fusarium that comes later in the year uh, and it actually comes on the seed called, uh, fusarium head scab. And so you're going to want to have both the ability for your seed treatment to provide protection against the rooting plant, against Fusarium root rot, and also clean the seed so that you don't have head scab later in the year. Because it will actually, it comes on the seed, you need to have something within your treatment to uh, keep that from uh, showing up later in the season. So there's two types of Fusarium there, Fusarium root rot and Fusarium head scab. The nice thing about uh, you know, our Sativa M2F product is it does have flutioxinil in it, which is good. In, in both instances on the fusarium root rot and fusarium head scab.
0: Yeah, you mentioned sativa, and I think about the the product selection, and this is one, too, where we try to coach farmers every year, you got to look at what's available on the market. I mean, certainly you you be aware of what the price is, but there isn't this monster difference in price between a lot of the seed treatments. They're all in, in a fairly... Um, Uh, close range, at least uh, as far as how much you're going to spend, but what you're going to get is different. So talk to us about about that. What should we be looking for in terms of a fungicide and and what specific ones are you having good luck with?
7: Yeah, so our Sativa M2F is kind of a three-way straight fungicide. So that's one that's going to provide protection against, you know, cleaning the seed, like I said, early on for the head scab. So you're going to plant a clean seed into the soil. You're going to have a good level of metal axle in it to provide protection against both the pythium and the sublethal pythium pressures on the wheat and then finally we have tebuconazole in there and it does a good job against uh, loose smut and uh, and bunts so those are all diseases that come around like if you're spreading manure from the uh, past year you're going to have issues with those smuts and bunts uh, on the seed and you're going to want to make sure you have good protection against that so that through a mix all comes in one ready-to-use container with Sativa M2F as a straight
0: fungicide. Yeah, I like that you mentioned that, that, that each of these fungicides have different strengths and having three active ingredients gives you a, a great shot. You don't know what you're going to have for a, a problem from field to field or area of the field to another area of the field and having uh, a chance to take multiple shots at each one of these diseases that pop up, it really improves your odds.
7: Absolutely. Absolutely. One nice thing about sativa m2f is that both those modes of action of the flutioxanil and tebuconazole have activity on rhizoctonium so that's a disease that comes up more in those areas where you talk about where it's hot and dry and we have maybe sometimes a struggle in getting enough moisture to get the crop to germinate well you're going to have rhizoc pressures in those areas and the sativa m2f has two modes of action against that
0: how about, I to call that out. how about insects, Jeff? Uh, and I know a lot of times guys will say, "Okay, well, I'm putting a fungicide out there. I know that year in year out, I'm probably going to have an issue there uh, with the insects." I think we're seeing wireworms on the rise, and and some of the other pests now uh, in different areas. There, there's different pests that that are kind of on the rise as well. What are you hearing from growers? What what kind of demand are you seeing for insecticide? And and what are some things we should keep in mind there?
7: I think if we look at, you know, insect pressure for the most part in the spring wheat market is has been has been wireworm, okay? And and what we've had for tools against that is has been hemicloprid or or forms of that and we do have a product Salient TMI that has senator or hemicloprid in it. The rate of that is a half ounce. Now, in today's market, you know, a half ounce is not is was a rate of days of old. And um what what we like about the Salient TMI is it does work well with some of the newer technologies against wireworm like Traxis. And when that combination is put together, we have the short-term ability, the water solubility of imacloprid to provide protection early against wireworm. And then the tracks is for, for the season long protection against wireworm. That, that would be one pest in the spring wheat that's been fairly prevalent. You know, as we look at fall seeded wheat, the insecticide has a little bit more uh, viability in that we get, we want to have a high enough rate against hessian fly. So uh, to keep it from transitioning the disease in, in, in fall applied uh, wheat, but in spring wheat, Primarily it's just been uh, wireworm and in some cases grubs uh, where we have a fair amount of manure management uh, going on or where we're spreading a fair amount of manure. You want to make sure that you have an insecticide on your wheat seed to uh, stave off any grub pressure you may have uh, from, from those applications. So a wireworm and grub, and like I say, the salient TMI has a, a half ounce rate of emacoprid in it to provide a good base protection. And then if you have really heavy pressure of wireworm, the adding of traxis is, is a makes for a good mix.
0: Yeah, it is nice having these different options and the flexibility to do some of these things. The the nice thing I like about uh, some of the premixes like you mentioned is they're already mixed up. They're, they're already in good shape you aren't uh, just cold blending some things together that could potentially lead to some issues uh, the other thing that we see a lot like, like you mentioned as you got heavy wireworm pressure you could add in another mode of action another product uh, you mentioned taraxa there that's sure been a nice one on on a wireworm that we're seeing a, a bunch of different uh, products be able to bolt on just for a little extra help there uh, we've been talking with Jeff Kaiser here with new farm about seed treatments in wheat uh, Jeff thank you so much really appreciate all the information
4: you bet
7: thanks and like I say we there's 45 million acres of wheat out there there's only 11 of them that's highly managed so I guess I would challenge your listeners to uh, be a part of that growing 11 million acres that are highly managed and also keep in mind that uh, 40% of the calories we eat every day comes from wheat so there's going to be a fair amount of demand so uh, you know do the best you can at raising more wheat every you know on every acre that you that you're planting
0: that's great advice and and certainly we think about profitability and we've got a great opportunity here to get a really nice return on investment using a multiple product uh, like we talked about here uh, fungicides that uh, we've got multiple fungicides in there to fight disease stay tuned we'll be right back after this
6: The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. From the smallest fastener to the trusses overhead, Morton leaves absolutely no detail to chance. It's how we ensure that your building stands the test of time. From concept to completion, we take pride in providing a high quality building to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com.
0: At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com.
2: Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator closing wheels from FarmShop MFG. When you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. So call FarmShop MFG today at 712-520-6051.
4: This season, get medieval on Rhizicktonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizictonia. Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valentcom Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow Legal instructions.
0: listening to Ag PhD radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today hope to be out in the field before you know it and that's one of the reasons we were talking about seed treatments in wheat today and I, I guess just to kind of wrap that up you see a lot of those same active ingredients getting used in seed treatments on other crops and I, I would say as you're looking for a seed treatment for any crop make sure you got multiple fungicides in the mix and look at what rates are getting put on. And if you ask your supplier, well, what rate are you putting on? And they're like, no, I'm not going to tell you. Eh, it's probably not a good thing, right? So we do see some people playing with these rates and using lower rates, trying to keep their costs down. That's not a good thing. You need full rates on these fungicides to really do the best job. Then when it comes to insecticides, same things. We see a lot of folks playing with the rates on the insecticides and if you're not getting a good strong rate, you're just not going to do the job. Now I think about with the Neonyx, whether it's Poncho, Gaucho, or Cruiser, they're pretty good at repelling wireworms, but they don't kill the wireworms. I do like Taraxa specifically when we're talking about wheat seed treatments. That's really nice, and if you haven't heard about Taraxa yet, you're just a corn soybean farmer, for example, you're going to hear about it. Uh, There's going to be a new product called Nerisma. That's a corn rootworm protectant. That's basically just this Taraxa seed treatment for wheat at a much stronger rate. So it's a pretty nice product. It's a different mode of action. That's kind of exciting. So if you say what's new in seed treatments, that's been one of the more exciting things over the last few years that's come out. Then one piece that we didn't talk about today was the naturals, and this is getting to be a bigger and bigger deal. It's literally, uh, I can't remember what they said, $6 billion, the latest number I heard, $6 billion industry right now is naturals in in crops, and uh, naturals as seed treatments are really, really popular. There are a, a number of them that are not living that are spores, that type of thing that you can put on the seed with a fungicide, with an insecticide, and it doesn't hurt them. But you got to really be careful about that. So make sure you ask some questions. If we're going to use some naturals, how do I keep these things alive or how do I protect them as I'm putting them on the seed so I can get the most bang for my buck out in the field? All right. Uh, get some more questions here for the Ag PhD mailbag. Let's dive into those. First one comes from Robert down in Tennessee Robert says, All right, guys, you talk a lot about infurrow fertilizer on corn, and I've been doing that for several years, and I've seen some really nice returns. I was wondering what you think about running infurrow fertilizer on soybeans. And uh, here's his specific question. He said, I'm planting soybeans on 15 inch rows. All of my infurrow is run through my Keaton seed firmers. I was thinking about running two gallons of AgriLiquid's Sure K and a half a gallon of liquids Micro 500, and then mixing that with water to get up to a 5-gallon-per-acre rate. Is this a good combination? Would my salt levels be too high? Any other concerns? Hey, thanks, Robert. Really appreciate the question. Uh, I got my brother Brian back on, too, to, to talk about this. In-furrow fertilizer and soybeans, that's kind of risky, Brian, especially if you get lighter soils. Yep, yep
1: that's right. And granted, I mean, we're talking low salt fertilizer here, but still, it's just—I I, I mean, you're probably going to be okay nine years out of ten. I just worry about that tenth year. And to your point, if let's say you had lighter soil or some other kind of condition, extra dry spring, whatever. So, I—I I don't know. I—I'd I'd run lower than that. I any more, I don't—I don't, I don't want to go over a gallon. And there are a lot of people that have just completely gone away from it. Now, we like, don't get us wrong, we like fertility in soybeans. It's a great idea. You want to run two by two. You want to do a deep band. Even for that matter, if you want to broadcast some dry, whatever. Soybeans need lots of fertility and they definitely need lots of K. But you just have to be careful. The soybean seed is so much more sensitive than a corn seed or a wheat seed. It's crazy.
0: Well, I I look at it this way. What are you trying to accomplish, Robert, with putting that soybean fertility on in-furrow? And if you're saying, well, I want to feed the crop for the whole year, you just flat can't put enough fertility out there like that to do it. And if you say, well, I just want to get my seed off to a good start, now we're talking – And how much do you really need to make that happen? To Brian's point, a gallon is probably going to give you just as much response and avoid a lot of the negative issues. So take a look at a couple different rates. Do some strips on your farm and just see, okay, let's try a gallon. Let's try two gallons. Let's try five gallons. Let's see what the difference is. And you know what? Maybe you'll get by this year and they'll all be just fine. Uh, but I'm betting at some point, or maybe even at one soil type, or going up a sandy hill or something like that on your farm, you're going to say, ooh, you know what, I saw some stand reduction uh, at a certain rate, and, and that might as tell we you talking, all you need to know.
1: Yeah, as, as, as we were talking about this, and as you were you're talking there, I, I just got thinking about FMC's Drive 3D system. So that's for Zyway. You can do it with Capture LFR, or Capture, uh, but I I mean, has anybody done it with fertilizer? Have we made a foam out of fertilizer? And if not, why are we not testing that? And here's where we're going with this. It's to get that dispersed better throughout that seed zone as opposed to having it spit. And occasionally a whole bunch ends up on a seed and a lot of times none does. So you just don't know where the, the fertilizer's at what the concentration is or anything else so i i almost think we should try something like that moving forward darren
0: Yeah, well, getting the coverage is a big deal. And, Robert, I I like your idea of let's get it at least up to five gallons of volume. Uh, To me, if I got it up to 10, that'd be even better because at five gallons even, you're still going to have it spitting out rather than a steady stream. Uh, To Brian's point with that foam, one of the things that we like is it's made a nice even amount of coverage on every seed. Uh, Even at five gallons, we see some seeds getting a lot of coverage and others none. All right. Uh, another question came in here. This one came in from Chemo out in Hawaii. He said, Aloha, Brian and Darren. I've got a soil sampling uh, service out here in Hawaii, and I'm just questioning about soil sample collection. Many farms here are small in size, just a few acres in Hawaii. When collecting soil on, say, a small five-acre farm, I'll often see how many samples that that Uh, the farmer wants to do and then kind of map things out accordingly. So let's say that I'm taking uh, samples to do one acre grids like you talk about. How do you do that? Do you, would you collect the dozen or so cores in a random zigzag pattern in each of the five acres to come up with samples or, or how do you do things?
1: You pick a GPS spot, you go right to that spot and then you take eight to 12 cores within about a 10-foot radius of that spot. And here's the reason why you want to do it that way. Now we have repeatability, number one. You can always go back to that spot, and you always know what you've done. And number two, now we can match that spot to yield. We have the soil test information. Now we can look at exactly what was the yield right there. And then that allows us to chart things out and see what fertilizer is really paying on our farm. So you're going to get a lot of people that, aren't thinking about it this way and aren't trying to match up yields to soil tests like we are. And they're going to tell you to do different patterns and all this other stuff. Uh, I don't believe in that at all. Not at all. Hate it. I I, I don't think you're going to get ahead doing that. You got to pick GPS spots. Here's the other thing. I really, really, really like small grids or zones. Five acres? Way too big in my opinion. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that everybody always has to run with small grids or zones. saying at least one time, go to small grids or zones, even if it's just one time in your farming career, because now you've been able to identify all these, all this variability out there, and you can even things out, plus it's going to show you how much variability is out there, which means that you know, and five or 10 years down the road, you're probably gonna wanna do that small grid or zone thing again, because it's going to make you money. As as much as crops are worth, as much as fertilizer costs, you got to spend your dollars the right way. We don't want to waste dollars out there. We want to spend it right and get as much benefit as we can.
0: All right. The other thing I think about in Hawaii with, yes, yeah, smaller farms, but often higher dollar crops, that may be something yeah. too, chemo that you say, you know what? Gosh, those guy's uh, over in the in uh, the continental U.S., they're doing one-acre grids. Uh, Maybe I need to do quarter-acre grids or half-acre grids, something like that. It's not that terribly expensive to soil test, as as you're well aware. And... Maybe that's how you do it, to, to provide the most value, just to pick up whatever variability there is and try to fix things. I, I've heard of guys, even with small gardens, that do multiple samples just to see what variation there is out there due to management over the years and, and whatnot. Uh, maybe you pick something up that way, too. Hey, thanks for the question, Kimo. Thanks for what you do out there, too. really appreciate it. We're talking about wheat seed treatments on today's program and if you're treating wheat treating any crop uh, make sure you look at what's in those treatments and one of the best pieces of advice today look at your worst problems make sure you're solving that thanks for listening to our show today please join us again each weekday for more ag phd radio